Assalamu alaikum, this is Maliha Mahmoud. Welcome to Muslim Health Talk, a place to discuss natural ways of healing and health and wellness and finding that balance that the Prophet wasallam so beautifully um, provided for us. Inshallah, we'll start with the uh, the lineage of the Prophet So if anyone wants to follow, it is on the WhatsApp um, link. So the Prophet Muhammad bin Abdullah bin Abdul Muttalib bin Hashim bin Abdi Manaf bin Qusay bin Hakim bin Murrah bin Kab bin Lu'ay bin Ghalibi bin um, bin Ghalib, bin Fahir, bin Malik, bin Nadir, bin Kinana, bin Khuzayma, bin Mudrika, bin Ilyasa, bin Mudr, bin Nizara, bin Ma'ad, bin Adnan. So those are the 22 lineage of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And it's always good to recite it, um, maybe on a Monday or a Friday, and I've gotten into the habit of doing this. Uh, mashallah, one of my teachers had taught me and then I would just have it written down. And we even had like a beautiful little chart with a flower, like not a flower, actually, it was a tree. And so we had all the names of the Prophet Wasallam's lineage. And my kids were very, very little when I started it. And I would, I think we still have the chart, you know, um, and it was all beautifully decorated um, with different colors so we would have it in front of us and on Fridays one of the routines that I used to have with my kids and I think it, it was very beneficial we would spend besides you know you would take a shower you um, you cut your nails you read Surah Kaf on Friday you um, make sure that the house smells beautiful with oud now, of course, we, we try to do that before the day of Friday. But you can also sit together with your kids, right? Or your adult children. And maybe take some moments for for dhikr, right? For for um, remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or even just talking about something that you've learned. Because I know as our kids get older, we wonder what can we say to them. So if we heard something or if we learned even the littlest of thing, we can always go back to our kids and say, whether they're adult kids, whether they're youth, whether they're really young, and say, you know what, guess what I've learned? This is really amazing. Or maybe, oh, you know, I, I knew this, but I was reminded of this information and I thought I'd share it with you. And it doesn't have to be a whole long lecture, but the excitement that you show in learning what you've learned will get them interested in listening to you. And so we would sit around um, like a like a circle so I, with my kids and I would always have treats, but I would put it in the middle and I would say after we've done our short little dhikr, our talk about the Prophet wasallam, and then um, also reading, um, reciting his name, his lineage. So we would recite it together and then slowly we would go around the circle and make sure that everyone was able to recite it, right? And after doing this many times, we automatically memorized it. Like a lot of the things that um, 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to memorize things like the Quran, things like the lineage of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, du'as, and everything else. As long as we repeat it over and over again, but it doesn't have to be every day. It could be once a week. It could be every Friday. It could be every Monday. It could be every um, other day in the morning after Fajr. But small and consistent, you'd be amazed how many things you'll memorize. And so we would do this. And after we were done with our, and it wouldn't be very long. It would be like 10 minutes. The kids would be so excited just waiting to have the treat, whatever it was in the middle of um, the circle that we were sitting and subhanAllah, like we've memorized it. So I hope, inshallah, you guys are able to do that as well. That's why I sent the, the words and you could just recite it. You could record it yourself, yourself and then you could listen to it over and over again while you're in the car because listening to it and then repeating it is, is a definitely another way. So mashallah, the lineage of the Prophet wasallam. So last week we spoke about, because I want to just recap in case anyone wasn't here um last week was the 16 correct no yes okay so last week we spoke about um learning and memorizing the the lineage of the prophet and then how um, we spoke a little bit about abdul mutalib which is the grandfather of the prophet um, and his father's name was hashim right so the prophet bin Abdullah, which is his father, um, bin Abdul Muttalib, which is his grandfather, bin Hashim, which is his great-grandfather. So Hashim, we'll start off with Hashim and just go over a little bit more so we know who Hashim is. So Hashim was um, the one that was basically the caretaker of the Kaaba. And so that is the lineage, when we speak about it, we were reading about all the people that took care of the Kaaba. And this was something, because the Kaaba was the first sacred precinct, the the oldest and the first probably place that people would worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now I know through the years, what happens is it got distorted and people would bring in idols. But uh, when Ibrahim alayhi salam came, and this is like the really back. We're going very back. We're going um, many ancestors beyond the Prophet ﷺ. But when he came to, um, to, to visit his son Ismail and his wife Hajar, who he had left in the middle of the desert, right? So Hajar ﷺ is the wife of Ibrahim ﷺ and her son Ismail. And when he was a little boy, he, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded Ibrahim to take his wife and his baby boy and go into a barren desert and just leave them there. And um, Hajar salam, is an amazing woman because she had so much um, iman, so much uh, taqwa in her heart that when she asked her husband, are you going to just leave us here? And he would say nothing. And then she said, did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala command you to do this? And when he basically just nodded and affirmed what she just asked, she was fine with it. She said, as long as it is from Allah, we will be fine. And we're talking about being in the middle of the desert, like no trees, no no life, no nothing. Um, so Hajar alayhi salam, mashallah, she has so... And, you know, I was sitting outside today, not sitting outside, I was actually working outside in my garden, 
And where I live during the day between the hours of 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., it's pretty hot, right? The sun is scorching, but yet I have trees that I can rush underneath and get some shade. Hajar salam had nothing, no tree, no nothing living was there. And yet she was okay with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's decree and allowed her husband to just leave them there. So she stays there. And of course, we know the story of Zamzam, right? So Hajar um, begins to worry. And her baby Ismail is crying because the water skin with filled with water is empty. Um, the few dates that Ibrahim salam, gave her and her his son is finished. And so the baby is crying. <clears throat> and so she worries and she runs back and forth. We know the story. This is what we do when we go to Hajj, right? When we go to Umrah, we run or we walk fast from one <clears throat> one and one hill, Marwa and Safa, back and forth, right? We we literally um, reenact what our mother Hajar salam, did um, in those days, right? And we remember the the struggles that she went through, but yet the iman, the taqwa she had in her heart. So Hajar salam, runs back and forth, and underneath baby Ismail's foot is the zamzam water. And this is where, years later, this is how not only is... Does she is she able to be blessed with uh, water, sweet water, water that we are told if we drink it, it can for whatever intention we drink it, whether we want our um, illnesses to be healed, whether we want our um, headache to go away, whether we want our stomach pains to go away, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has granted this water that never ends, that never will finish till the last day to heal you in the for the intention that you drink it. So it's not just a water or a sweet water or a sacred water, but one that can and is promised to heal um, us when we drink it with the intention. So it's, it's, it's highly recommended to um, not only consume of it, but remember like who has gone through the difficulty in ga- gaining this water and, and what has happened and occurred in the past, right? So after this Zamzam water is established and it's there, Hajar salam not only is able to survive with her son in the middle of the desert, but people begin to come, right? They come and um, birds begin to see that there's water there and they start to live there and stay there. And then there's groups of, of, of people coming from a land far away in Yemen who has gone through famine and, and starvation. And so they need to go elsewhere. And so they see that there are birds flying around, right? And they know that there must be some sort of water, some sort of food, some sort of life, and some sort of way that they can live there and um, have an establishment. And when they see Hajar, they say, you know, can we uh, can we can we live here? And Hajar Islam, mashallah, is so. Not only is she is she confident and she has so much faith in Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, but she is a very intelligent woman. So she knows she's the only woman, and she has her son. Her husband's not with her, so she tells them, "Yes, you may stay here as long as I am the custodian of this Zamzam water," which gives her. Um, 
security, right? So no one can harm her, no one can uh, abuse her or any other way. So mashallah, like there are people who, who live there and they stay there and they establish. And after that, when Ibrahim salam comes back to see his son, Ismail, when she's older, about 14, 15, he is commanded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to build the Kaaba. And they build the Kaaba together. But even before this, we are told that Adam salam has built the Kaaba, but throughout the years, it has been destroyed. And so again, in the same place, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded Ibrahim to um, build the Kaaba. And from then on, um, each generation, it's passed down to son and son and son, like every every child, that every a person that was responsible for the Kaaba. They were the custodian of the Kaaba. They took this responsibility very strongly because it meant that they had to feed anyone who came to see and to visit the Kaaba. And many people from far away would come and visit. So even before um, this this um, ritual occurred every year, all the time. And so when the Prophet wasallam comes to the world, and he is given nabuah, which means prophethood. He is asked, even before he he comes to, he becomes a prophet. There are people who visit the Kaaba as a sacred precinct, because what happens is that when we are commanded by Allah Subhanahu wa Taala to do something righteous, right? Even if generations pass by and generations pass by, we still and we might have forgotten why we're doing it, that ritual stays with us. So even though when the Prophet comes to the world and he is a prophet, the people around him are still making hajj, but they're not doing it in the way where we're told to do properly, right? They're, they're worshiping idols. They are bringing idols and putting them in the Kaaba, around the Kaaba, and they are speaking to the idols and asking the idols to speak in place like as a messenger to their Lord. So they forget a little bit, but the ritual is still there. So it's always been there. And um, when Ibrahim comes and he has, there's the Zamzam water, decades pass by and generations pass by. And then before Abdul Muttalib, which is the grandfather of the Prophet when Abdul Muttalib becomes the custodian, this is generations later, during his time, there is no Zamzam water. There is no Zamzam well. It, before him, it was covered up because there, was, there were wars and there were fights and, and another group wanted to come and take over the people and the tribe that was living in Mecca. And so the people of Mecca decided, let us cover up this well because this is so important they can have everything else we're going to leave we're going to let them take over right but we don't want them to have the well of zamzam and so what they did was they covered up the zamzam well they put on top of it all their gold and treasures and and um, gold swords and silver and diamonds and whatever you name, they had all their treasures. And then they covered it up with with dirt and it was under the ground. So when Abdul Muttalib, mainly because those are their treasures and they don't want the enemy that's trying to take over their land to have it, right? So Abdul Muttalib um, is, is a 
is a father and he has one son. Uh, he has probably daughters, but he only has one son at this moment. And he has a dream, right? He has a dream. And in his dream, he is told, and he has this dream many times, he is told to um, dig, dig the ground. There's something in there. And Abdul Muttalib is a very significant individual, very um, handsome, very um, charismatic, very like, he has this, this awe, this aura when you, when you meet him. He's a, he's a big individual. And so uh, he is also known as being a Hunafa, which is believing in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as one, having tawheed. Right, and there are many people who are, who are also considered Hunafa, and the word Hanafi comes from that word. So, um, Ibrahim alayhi was a Hunafa who focused and did not associate partners with Allah subhanahu wa taala, and Abdul Muttalib was also a Hunafa, and this is proven when the Prophet says after his prophethood, he says, "I am the Prophet, and this is not a lie." And I am the son of Abdul Muttalib. So he is talking about his lineage, how they are also believing in Tawheed, believing in, in one God. Um, so this was, the, this was last stated because Abdul Muttalib was a, uh, was, um, was a Hunafa. Other prophets like Lut um, and other prophets, when, when confronted by their people, they couldn't necessarily say or make a statement that my family was a Hunafa, but the Prophet ﷺ was able to do this. And the Prophet ﷺ came from the best of lineage, right? That is why it's so important for us to, to know his lineage and say his lineage. And inshallah, when, when we meet him in Jannah, we can say, Ya Rasulullah, I have memorized your lineage. And this is it, you know, and mashallah, in, inshallah, he'll be like so proud of us, right? So the Prophet ﷺ had strong pillars. He had family backing him up and supporting him when he became a prophet and told his, the people around him that this is what I believe in and this is what is what is true. And this, no matter where, when we live, whether we live today or whether we have lived years ago, is so important to have a strong family supporting you, right? In in all situations. So um, it's important in times of difficulty. And when you are making, uh, you know, this, when the Prophet ﷺ is making the statement of Tawheed, then inshallah, he's not rejected, right? Even though, like we know Abdul Mutal, um, Abu Talib is one of his uncles, right? He has many uncles. And Abu Talib, we know uh, that throughout when the Prophet ﷺ gained prophethood, he told his uncle, this is, you know, this is the uncle that raised him from the age of eight. This is the uncle whose son is Ali, who, who the Prophet ﷺ took care of when he was really little. And this is the uncle who Abdul Muttalib, the grandfather, trusted his grandson, an orphan, the grandson, which is the Prophet ﷺ, and he trusted Abu Talib, his son, to take care of him, even though Abu Talib is never wealthy. He's always, throughout his life, he's always um, either struggling or poor. But yet, he is the caretaker of the of the Kaaba, right? So, so 
But we know that Abu Talib never declares in public that he has become Muslim. And yet, he is the uncle, the one that is always protecting the Prophet ﷺ, always saying, yes, I am here for you. I will protect you with my voice, with my um, my power, anything. He He's the reason why um, the people around the Prophet ﷺ couldn't necessarily harm the Prophet ﷺ as badly as they harmed other Muslims that became Muslim, right? They did harm him, but not to the point where um, it was as extreme, as torturous as the early Muslims, the, the torture that they went through. So what this proves is that his uncles, one is Abu Talib, another is Hamza, another is Abbas, عنه, who also didn't become Muslim until later on, until the time when even after the Prophet sort of migrated, then he became Muslim. So this tells you even if if people around you, family around you, they knew who the Prophet was. They knew that he was called Al Amin, the most trustworthy, um, the most loved, like people people trusted him no matter what with anything. And his character just resonated that. And so when when he um declares Tawheed and he tells everyone this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent me to teach you the oneness of God and you shouldn't be going through idols his uncles who don't necessarily declare their their Islam publicly still back him up and so the importance of having strong and um, loving and um, believing family is so important and so uh, the lineage of the Prophet ﷺ, the family of the Prophet ﷺ, is of the purest, right? So family has a strong significance even in the Prophet ﷺ's life. The Prophet ﷺ states, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala selected Kanana from the children. Then he selected the tribe of Quraysh from Kanana. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose the extended extended family of Banu Hashim from Quraysh. Quraysh is the group of Arabs that live in Arabia. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose me. This is what the Prophet sallallahu is saying from the Banu Hashim. This means that the beloved Prophet sallallahu was selected from the cream of the cream of the cream of the crop, the best of the best of the best. This is not when when we talk about this, it's not arrogance. It's not um, it's not the Prophet, Prophet ﷺ is not being arrogant when he says this. He is trying to explain to us the significance of who he is and why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen him and why it's so important for us to learn about him. So when we think about, um, so he, is, he came from the purest of the purest of the purest, right? And the more we learn about his family, his grandfather, his great-grandfather, all the lineage that goes back, we realize that it is true. Especially when we realize that before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created anything, before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the the world or the earth or the uh, universe, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the nur, the light of the Prophet wasalam, And that's, uh, that speaks volumes, right? In another ra- narration, the um. The, it is said that the day Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created creation, he put amongst 
the best of people. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala distributed the Prophet between two groups. He placed the Prophet in the best of groups. Then he put the Prophet in the best of tribes. And then he put him in the best of homes. And during the Prophet time, Abu Sufyan in the beginning, which which is a, another elder in in the community. And he, in the beginning, is is against Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, right? He's a really strong enemy. But yet, when Abu Sufyan, later on, of course, he becomes Muslim, but in, when, at the time when he's not Muslim, um, he Abu Sufyan states when he is when he is standing in front of the emperor of Rome and he is asked if he thought Muhammad was um, um, going to doing this to gain prominence amongst his people. Like uh, the, he was asked, is Muhammad doing this because he wants um, ulterior, has ulterior motives? Does he want power? Does he want prestige? Why is he saying that he is a prophet? And Abu Sufyan, even though he was his enemy, couldn't say, like, he, he, he said, no, no, because I know Muhammad belongs to a very high esteemed lineage amongst the Arabs, us Arabs, the best family you could imagine. So imagine like your own enemy um, testifying that, yeah, you are a great person, you know, this, um, that itself, that statement is, is so amazing, right? And it explains to us who and what beautiful characters the Prophet ﷺ must have had that even his enemies couldn't deny him being true, being um, an amazing human, right? So the entire lineage of the Prophet ﷺ is preserved from that time of Adam ﷺ. No other human being can say this. Millions of scholars have the Prophet Wasallam's lineage memorized. I, and, and that's why I think it would be beautiful for us um, to, to, to do it as well and teach it to our kids. So when we talk about um, Abu Talib, um, sorry, Abdul Muttalib, which is the grandfather of the Prophet Wasallam. Um, we we remember that he, like I said, he was the custodian of, of the Kaaba. And during a time where he only has one son, he is <clears throat> he's told to dig, to dig something into the ground. <clears throat> Excuse me. And when he when he lies down and he sleeps, he gets what we call ilham, which is a type of communication that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends, a divine inspiration, not a divine revelation. Wahi, wahi is a divine revelation that only prophets get. But ilham is a type of communication that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends to any human as a divine inspiration to inspire them to do something. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent an angel and and is communicating with with a pious person, right? And giving them divine instruction. And this is what happened to Maryam alayhi salam, right? Um, Ilham is a divine instruction that Maryam alayhi salam received the mother of Isa alayhi salam, right? So he lies down and he sleeps. 
in front of the Kaaba, Abdul Muttalib. And the first time he has a dream. And in his dream, he is told to go and dig Tiba. And he's like, what is Tiba? And when he asks that, all of a sudden the angel, whatever it was, leaves. Then the next day he lies down again and, and takes a nap. And he, um, the angel comes back and says to him, go and dig Barra. And he says, what is Barra? And he's told that it is a blessed thing. Then on the third day, he is told to go and dig that thing that is Madnuna. Madnuna means for something that is coveted, something that is um, hidden, something that you don't want to share with anyone because it is so valuable. So then the fourth time, because this continues, because he does, he, he, you know, Abdul Muttalib is like, okay, you want me to dig, but what am I supposed to dig? He, he needs more information. So each night he gets another little bit of um, hint, right? So the, the fourth night, the angel comes to him and says, go and dig Zamzam. Um, and he asks, what is Zamzam? And he's told that Zamzam is that thing that will never expire. It is that thing that never runs out. And its water is always abundant. It can give water to the largest number of people, which is which are visiting the Kaaba, right? The Hujjaj. And to him, this is very valuable because up until now and during this time, Abdul Muttalib would have to go walking far away to a well, because they did have wells. It's not like they didn't have wells in the desert, but wells would be dug up they would take out water, then they would have to drag it and, and bring it to, to the hujjaj, to the people that, that were the visiting the Kaaba and, and serve them. And this was very tiresome, you know, very tiresome. So, uh, let's see, someone joined? I'm trying to wonder, okay. Uh, let me know if you guys ever have any questions. You could stop me anytime. So for him, um, having abundant water is very important. And he is told in his dream that it is between al-faras and dam. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the milk of a cow as Lebanon khalisan, between, which means between blood and feces. And between these two things, we have something very pure. We have milk, right? There, there is a scientific miracle that, that is to be observed here in the Qur'an that explains where it exists between blood and feces. The Qur'an's language is miraculous. And even after 1,400 years later, this may have sounded kind of strange at the time. It even sounds, sounds kind of strange right now. But it foretells a scientific miracle that is still comprehensible to the people at the time that it is told. And the teachings of the Prophet ﷺ, which is also from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, continues to hold scientific realities and miracles as we continue to like look into it and find out and learn about it, right? For example, when we in the month of Ramadan, when we're fasting, or even during the, the year when someone wants to um, learn about how to improve their health. They read about how um, intermittent fasting, something so similar in, in its structure, is 
can give you amazing benefits. Like I was doing doing a talk on intermittent fasting, and the more I learned the the health benefits that it has from anti-aging to anti-cancer to detox to um just so many things I was amazed and and the more I would read about intermittent fasting I realized that even the way it's followed um you 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 do an intermittent fasting today and then you skip two days and then you do another one kind of follows like the sunnah fasting of Monday and Thursday and I thought to myself subhanallah like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us these things to do that when if we do it sunnah acts right if we do it we are actually gaining reward because we are learning about the Prophet we are following his footsteps we are implementing the the stuff that he did and on top of that we are getting so many health benefits from it and yet, when uh, in in modern world, um, someone comes up with something called in, intermittent fasting, they tell us how awesome it is, but they don't realize that what they have just invented or rediscovered is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has already told the Muslims to do. Even the fasting that we do in the month of Ramadan, if we actually did it properly, right? If we actually opened our fast with wholesome meals with um fruits and vegetables and greens and and things that would help us to uh rejuvenate our body in those 30 days we would have totally detoxed our body and revamped everything like regenerated all of our cells of course if we had to if we did it properly allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has already made us made it so that we do it every year so that our bodies are regenerated our our cells are regenerated we are healthier because of it and other people who are trying to gain this amazing health when they come up with something when they actually sit down and scientifically think about it and 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 uh, rediscover it because they're not discovering anything new they literally follow the footsteps that one, the Prophet ﷺ has taught us. Two, the fard acts that we are told to do. So it's amazing. So um, the things that we learn, uh, that we are told through Islam, slowly, slowly but surely, science proves how important it is for us to do it. Even when we when we pray, when we're, we're when we're standing and we're prostrating, and then we're in ruku. Those steps, if we did it with khushu, with focus, with love, with, um, you know, uh, just being present. Now people are being told to do these things through yoga and meditation and other things, right? So it's amazing. It's amazing, really. Uh, so the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, let's see. So Abdul Muttalib was told that he would <clears throat> find Zamzam where he sees an ant hill and a crow pecking the ground and there's dung. There's like, um, you know, animal droppings. So one, he's told that water will never run out. And this is something very, very rare in the desert, which means he never has to go around digging wells far away, trying to get water, bringing it, dragging it, and carrying it to 
um, to in front of the Kaaba and then feeding and, and nourishing people that visit. So it makes his life so much easier because this is his responsibility. And to this day, mashallah, we, we still witness this amazing miracle when we go to Mecca and we drink the Zamzam. Two, it is extremely pure like milk and it has nourishment and it heals many health all, any and every health problems. It doesn't even have to be healthy. It could be something like, you know, I worry, I have anxiety, and I want to drink. I have, my intention is to drink Zamzam every morning so that I can heal from this issue, right? So Abdul Muttalib takes his only son, Harith, and he begins to dig. And the first thing he sees is, like I said, swords and jewels made of gold and brick, <clears throat> bricks of gold, silver, and lots of wealth. And he takes, then underneath that, he sees the well. And around him, there are people who get very upset because everyone around living around the Kaaba knows that the Kaaba is a sacred precinct and they, they are afraid of, um, what's the word? Like, they're afraid of... Um, bad luck, I guess you can say. So they don't want to even touch the Kaaba. They don't even want to t dig around it. They don't want to do anything because they know that the Kaaba has been here forever and something very sacred. And so they get very upset when they see Abdul Muttalib digging. And Abdul Muttalib, um, and they're stronger. They have more men. Abdul Muttalib only has one son at the time. And he, he makes a promise to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He says, oh Allah, if you help me complete this task which you have told me to do right through your through the dreams i promise and if you if you if you can give me 10 more sons to help me because his job of feeding the hujaj of feeding people who come of nourishing them is a huge task right and he says if you grant me 10 more sons then i will sacrifice one son for you and this is just the habit of what they used to do back then, right? And so he's digging and his son is by his side, um, Hadith, and they get all upset and they, they try to stop him. But eventually what happens is that, and, and I think at one point they say, okay, fine, I'll stop. And the story goes back and forth. But eventually what happens is that he is able, he is able to dig. And when he comes up, with these treasures and the well, like the well is the most important thing, right? He sees water coming. And sadly enough, none of these people help him. And he goes through the process of doing it himself with his son. But when they see the water and when they see the treasures, of course, they say, we want a part of it, right? And so Abdul Muttalib is very intelligent as well. And he says, you can have some treasures. I will share that with you. But the well belongs to me. This is, I am the custodian. I will take care of it. So um, what he does with the, with the gold swords is that he melts it and he builds the door of the Kaaba. And we know when we see the Kaaba, it's gold, right? And he is the first person who actually adorns the Kaaba um, because we know that, that the Kaaba, the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is just four brick walls, right? But he adorns it with this gold door and he does it out of respect, out of love um, for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what he does is that before he opens it to the public, 
the, the well itself before he feeds people through it, he does something very monotheistic, me- meaning he does something which again proves to us that he is a hunafah, he is a believer of um, only one God, right? He um, recites some couplets of poetry and he says, O oh Allah, you are the king, the one who originally creates and brings back. You are the one who gives strength and steadfastness. From you comes wealth and poverty. If you wish, you aspire as you will. You gave knowledge to me, knowledge of where the well was. And I have made a promise to do what I have promised to do. Right, My Lord, tell me, what is it you want me to do? And from this poem, we can see like he believes in Allah. He does not talk about idols and, and speaking through the idols or anything like that. So the significance of Zamzam, we know of its significance and how it came about, right? And it is very valuable and it's a part of the, uh, the ritual of Hajj, right? Number two is that whether whatever intention you make when you're drinking it, it will serve the purpose of it. And the third, Ibn Abbas who narrates that the etiquettes of drinking Zamzam are a few, are five. When we drink the Zamzam, unlike when we drink water, because we are told that the Prophet wasallam used to sit down and drink water. Um, when we drink Zamzam, we are told to stand to face the Qibla or the Kaaba. We are told, of course, um, to say the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is Bismillah. Then we take two, three breaths while drinking, same as when, when we drink water um, the way, the Sunnah way, right? We, we drink, we stop, we drink, we stop, we drink, we stop, right? And you drink Zamzam until you are full. And then you say, Alhamdulillah. So five things. Standing, facing the Kaaba, saying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's name, Bismillah, taking three, three breaths while drinking, and drink while we're full, and saying Alhamdulillah. So the supervision of Abdul Muttalib. Abu Talib. Um, so later on when the Prophet wasallam is, is alive, what happens is Abu Talib is, is bankrupt, right? Like I said, Abu Talib, the uncle of the Prophet wasallam during the Prophet wasallam's time, who is the caretaker of the Kaaba because it goes down to him from Abdul Muttalib, he is um, he's, he's poor. He doesn't have a lot of money. And he tries to feed the people with zamzam and food. And he's unable to carry out this responsibility. And so um, it comes to a point where he sells his responsibility of taking care of the Kaaba to his brother Abbas radiallahu anhu. And then this gets passed down. That is why Abbas radiallahu anhu gives us the ritual of, the, of drinking the um, zamzam water. This gets down, passed down from Abbas, the uncle of the Prophet to Abdullah ibn Abbas, which is the son of the uh, Abbas, and then his son Ali, and then his son Dawood, and then his son Sulaiman, and his son Isa, and his son Al-Mansur, the Khalifa, and then it goes to the Umayyad dynasty. 
And to this day, it's probably um, the custodian, the caretaker is passed down. So it was t- in the time of uh, Abdul Muttalib that the Kaaba was attacked by the Abyssinian conqueror Abraha and his men. And in the Quran, this is mentioned, this is named as the companions of the feel of the elephant. And Abraha, what happens is that he comes in with 60,000 soldiers to uh, wanting to destroy the Kaaba because he wanted to revert the Arab pilgrims to his church in Yemen. And we wonder, like, why would this man do this? So the Kaaba was always, like I said, people would come, people would visit it, people would make hajj to it, even though they believed in idols. This is a ritual that they kept and they remembered from their own parents. And um, when Abraha hears about this, and he is an Abyssinian king, he wants to build a huge cathedral, a huge church. And he does. He builds a beautiful church and he puts all kinds of ornaments and jewels. He spends so much money on it. And it's um, humongous and beautiful. And he thinks, okay, I can divert the travelers from going there and instead they should come and visit the church. You know, I want people to come here and not just for worship, but you must understand that when people would come and visit the Kaaba, they will also bring... um, raise the economy. So they would, when they would all meet at the Kaaba, what they would do is they would trade things, right? So imagine um, people coming from Yemen and Damascus and Syria and elsewhere, they wouldn't go to each other's land. They would say, I will meet you in the Kaaba at this and this time. Bring your goods, we will trade. And so it was kind of like this uh, place where people would be able to trade um, your call ends in 10 minutes okay so people would be able to trade and the economy was really really good and so it would bring a lot of wealth to, to Mecca and the Kaaba and the people and that is how they became very wealthy so I'm going to stop here and maybe if you guys have any questions uh... thank you for joining me Maliha Mahmoud on Muslim Health Talk Please do check us out. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and our website, MuslimHealthTalk.com. Assalamu alaikum.